Peace, family. Welcome back to the Campaign TV Show. I am your host, Brother King Cam, and I have a special interview lined up for us tonight. So as you know, every time we do a podcast show, I need everybody to show up and show out in the comment section. I need you to let us know where you checking in from, what city, what state, you know, and just tap in in the comment section. We want all of the YouTube family, if this is your first time seeing the show, I need you to like, I need you to subscribe, and I need you to hit that uh, bell to stay notified each and every time we drop a video shout out to the facebook family as well you know y'all need to get busy in the comments section so and while y'all doing that we're gonna go ahead and start with our intro then get right to our powerful interview any leadership that teaches you to depend upon another race is a leadership that will enslave you any leadership that teaches you to depend upon another race is a leadership that will enslave they gave leadership to our forefathers, and that leadership made them slaves not your average nigga, I'm a god out the hood. They can't downplay me. I came up, I'm elevated. elevated. I ain't gotta say too much for them to know I'm coming for what's mine. You know they see me in my presence, say they see how I'm coming. Young, but you not just gonna finesse me like you did my people's name back when you said they was emancipated. This ain't that. Your head too big, you feeling yourself. The game wasn't fair, you had the advantage, we weren't educated. Oh. I don't look at you people the same. Nah. Your worst nightmare, my skin tone about them chains. Yeah. Not no circus lion, son, son, I can't be tamed. Nah. You gon' have to kill me, pussy, Toby ain't my name. Y'all still wanna think our history started when we were slaves? What? Come on now, talk about them pyramids we made. I was chosen by that man, you know y'all just been running game. The nerve of you acting like I ain't. Well, 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 family. Like I said, if you just coming into the campaign TV show, I am your host, brother King Cam, and I have a very, very special guest that's joining us tonight. Uh, our sister has been featured on BET and on um, and on uh, and on American Gangster as part of the Trap Queen series. My sister is an author, uh, and she has a very amazing story that I had to bring to the to the platform to have her share her story with us and how it uh, changed her life, how it impacted her, and how it's impacting thousands and millions of people today. And I'm talking about none other than my sister Thelma Wright, uh, formerly known as the Queen of Philly. Uh, they dubbed her the Queen Pen on the show. So I just wanted to introduce my sister and bring her on. Uh, let's give her a virtual round of applause, family. Let's do that. Let's make sure we do that. <laughs> In the comment section, family. In the comment section. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about, y'all. All right, Sister Thelma. So just let us know uh, a little bit about yourself and uh, anything that I might have missed out on. Well, I want to first thank you for having me. I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity tonight. Um, and basically, I'm from Philadelphia, where I am now. And um, I grew up in a two-parent household uh, with uh, five siblings, educated in a Catholic school system, um, graduated from school to possibly go to college, decided I wanted to just kind of hang out and <laughs> be with my <laughs> friends and those kind of things. And um, met someone who was heavily involved in the drug trade, uh, fell in love with him uh eventually we moved in together had a son together and were married um in 1986 he was killed august of 1986 he was killed 
And right after his demise, I stepped in and took over his drug business. Wow. Wow, family. Let's go ahead and give her a round of applause for the intro, family. And one of the things that I noticed from uh, from watching the show, because I watched it, I, I actually watched it twice. And uh, when I watched it, I was just so amazed because at the beginning of your story, at the beginning of your story, you were just um, in a relationship with a brother who happened to be in the drug trade. And, um, you know, you weren't privy to the business necessarily. You wasn't heavily involved in things of that nature. Um, and you were just kind of, you know, part of the lifestyle. Uh, but then, as you mentioned, in 1986, um, you know, he was uh, tragically uh, murdered. And uh, after he was tragically murdered, you decided to step in. So uh, what was what what was the impact of um, his murder? How did that impact you and your son? And then what influenced you uh, to step in? Well, his murder... Um changed my life drastically. I mean, my son was only three at the time, turning four the following month. And so um, when one of his associates came to me um, to pay a debt, which if the audience knows about the drug trade, people just don't do that. When, right. you know, they just don't. When someone dies, normally people feel like, oh, I don't have to pay, you know? Mm -hmm. But this, this man um, had been close to my husband for many years. And, uh, you know, when he came to me, he said, well, you know, this is what what was old and we got to keep going. Well, that never crossed my mind. I, I was living in L.A. at the time because my husband had sent my son and I out there for our safety. And I never thought about that. You know what I mean? And I feel now when I look back on it that he caught me at a very vulnerable time because I didn't really think about the what if. You know what I mean? What if something happened to me? I didn't think about that. So um, it was in the planning stages of my husband's funeral. So I explained to him that I needed to lay him to rest. And then I would talk to my husband's connect to see if that was even possible. Because like I said, I hadn't thought about it. And so uh, my husband's connect at that time was an older female. And so I explained to her, that, you know, paid her the money. And I explained to her that they wanted to keep going. And she said, yes, that was possible for us to do. So the following month, that's what we did. But it, it you know, his death changed my life completely. Yes, ma'am. And um, they go over that part in, uh, in the movie as, you know, heat and stuff started to increase in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, they decided, or your husband decided to go ahead and move you all from Philadelphia out to LA um, so that you could be safe from any of the, um, you know, any of the different things that was going on in Philly, the heat exactly. that may be on him. So out in LA, you actually opened up your own business out in LA. It was a boutique shop, correct? Well, what happened out while I was out in LA, a friend took me to a factory where they were making uh, custom-made jogging suits. And in, in the late 80s, that was big. You know, everybody was wearing the Fila and the Gucci and different things, Sergio, different sweatsuits. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I went there and I had a suit made for myself and for my son. And when we came back to visit on the East Coast, a friend of mine saw it and she placed orders. And then mm -hmm. someone saw her orders and they placed orders. 
And my husband was still alive at the time. So quite naturally, he wanted to help and, you know, place orders. So it just started to snowball, you know what I mean? And so um, after his demise, you know, I decided, okay, you know, I would really step into this. And so that's what I did. And my partner um, at the time was doing all of the um, making sure that everything was correct in the warehouse where I would go out and do the marketing and, you know, get all the orders and those type of things. So eventually I opened up my own location um, in Gardena, California. And then it got so big so fast that we merged to the factory. So we had uh, workers who were, you know, making the patterns and everything was custom according to what you wanted. Um, if you wanted graphic work on it, we had someone who would handle all the graphic work, you know, and it just moved on from there. Um, and so um, when I decided to come back to the East Coast, I opened up a boutique on the East Coast. And I was doing not only the custom-made jogging suits and tour jackets for um, athletes and entertainers, I was also um, handling men's clothing like silk jackets and silk shirts and things like that. So it, it did pretty well. Okay, okay. So you had a store on the West Coast in LA where you started, and then you end up opening up a second location on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. And is that where you got though uh more of the more of your celebrity clientele on the east coast or did you have that in the west coast as well my celebrity clientele came from the west coast because okay. i was doing um a lot for the record labels like capitol records arista mm -hmm. records atlantic and then i was atlantic records and then i was also doing for the entertainers so okay. you know that all happened on the west coast Okay. Okay. Wow. Wow. Okay. So now you had two shops or two stores, East coast and West coast. And then as you mentioned, 1986, uh, your husband is murdered. And after your husband is murdered, what is going through your mind as it pertains to, uh, you know, you said, a, a, a associate of his had came to you to pay a debt and, you know, said that we gotta keep moving. Now in, in the show, they said that a lot of his crew, uh, brother Jackie's crew, uh, was saying, hey, you know, we got to keep going. We got to keep making this money. You know, who else but you to keep it going because you know the operation or so they assumed you know it because you were so close, obviously, to Brother Jackie. So, you know, what was going through your mind as it was like, okay, you know, they saying we got to keep going. We got to keep, you know, keep this drug thing going. What, what was your mindset at that time? The most important thing to me was to keep my son safe. Um, I, I didn't want to go through what Jackie had gone through. So, you know, I was living on the West Coast. My family was on the East Coast. I kept my son on the West Coast with me. And in the summer months, he would come back on the East Coast. So it was more like, you know, I was bi-coastal and uh, it, it was about constantly moving. You know what I mean? Don't stay one place too long. Move around. So that way people couldn't kind of pinpoint what I was doing and what was going on. And then, you know, I had become accustomed to living a certain way. So, you know, I just continued to live the way that I had been living. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. It sounded like you were just able to kind of flow and keep everything still, you know, up to where it was, it had already been for a certain amount of years. So it didn't really uh, catch the eye of people because it wasn't a sudden change as far exactly. as your lifestyle and things of that nature. Exactly. So, uh, you know, they said that it was a five year, you had a five year run. Now, could you talk about how, you know, it was, you know, uh, you know, making the deals and, you know, just really living that life because a lot of people 
you know, they hear about it in music and things of that nature. But from a person, from a first person perspective, a point of view, can you talk about, you know, really, you know, because you was, they called you the queen of Philly. So how was that, you know, on, on your shoulders as actually, you know, really running uh, the city uh, of Philadelphia? Well, actually back in that time, unless I was doing business with you, which I was very selective about who I did business with. When I started out, I was doing business with the people that were closest to Jackie, people that were left from the drug war. Some people had died. Um, so, you know, their mindset was just like mine. Let's just get this money, no bloodshed, no violence, you know what I mean? And try to stay as low as possible. There was a lot of money being made. And so, you know, they had a vested interest as well as myself having a vested interest. So, you know, they wanted to protect me because they knew if anything happened to me, then they would have to go and try to find another connect. Could they do that? Probably so. But connects at that time were not readily available. You know what I'm mm. saying? And mm -hmm. so, you know, we kind of kept things really close to the best. So, you know, if, like I said, if you were not doing business with me, you didn't know what I was doing. Okay. So, you know, most people that end up in these situations, a lot of people that end up in these situations, they're making a lot of money. They're doing, they're making a lot of moves and then they end up on the radar some kind of way, some mm -hmm. kind of way they end up on the radar of the, uh, federal law enforcement and things like that. So could you talk about your, uh, method, if you will, of trying to stay off of the radar. I know you mentioned that everybody was about business. So obviously keeping the violence down uh, to a minimum, but also, you know, just going into it from a businesswoman standpoint, because you actually had legitimate business as well. How, you know, what was your mindset every day? And also how much money uh, were you, uh, were you making? If you don't mind sharing. I'll just share with you that there was a lot of money. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, there is, there is no statute of limitations on, um, IRS. The okay. IRS, okay. so people will know, the IRS can come at you at any time. Got it. Got anytime. it. So, you know, I, I can never say, matter of fact, I, prob I I never really counted, you know what I mean? But mm. I do know back then in those times, you know, drugs were different. The drug was pure at that time. So let's mm. just say hypothetically, if you had, if you had an ounce of, of heroin, Mm -hmm. And you spent the thousand dollars on an ounce of heroin at that time, you may be able to put a 14 on that, which is a 14 cut. So you're mm -hmm. cutting that 14 times. You're going to make $14,000 off that 1000 that you invested. This is hmm. the way things were back then. I don't believe they're like that now, but this is how it was at that time. But my mindset was to keep my son safe and to keep myself safe because I was a woman in a man's game. And I had already saw what happened when people feel as though you don't deserve what you have, or even if you may look out for them, eventually there's going to be a problem because they want to move you out. They may want to know who your connect is. So, you know, the, 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 the whole objective is to find out who your connect is to get rid of you. If the connect is willing to fool with these people. Now, the thing about, you know, my relationship with my husband's connect, we were two women. And so she was like a mother figure to me and like a grandmother to my son. So she really looked out for me. And this was something that, you know, she had given her word on before Jackie died that he asked her while we were in LA to look out for us. And she literally took that to heart and she did. So it would have been difficult for someone to infiltrate 
the relationship that we had. You know what I mean? But I wasn't mm -hmm. into promoting what I did. I wasn't what they call now that rah-rah girl. You know what I mean? Yes, I was man. more into a, being a businesswoman. And I didn't go around, you know, promoting and soliciting people to do business with me in the drug trade because I knew how dangerous that was. Absolutely. Absolutely. So with you being a woman in a, in a man's uh, world, in a man's game at that time, how did that affect your ability to handle business and to go into certain spaces? Because, uh, you know, obviously your husband had a reputation in the city of Philly and probably uh, abroad as well. So did that help you in your ability to handle uh, and do business in these certain circles or you had to establish yourself on your own merit? No, I never had to establish myself. Um, the people that I did business with, they loved Jackie, they respected Jackie. So they respected me as his wife. And like I said, their mindset was equal to mine. You know, no violence. If this is not about violence. We're not going to hurt you in any way. We just want to get money. Let's get this money. And so it was a cash and carry business. You know what I mean? Um, you had to pay for what you wanted. Um, I didn't have areas and territories and workers. You know, I, mm. I didn't do that. Um, okay, and okay. I think that is what really kept me safe. You know what I mean? I didn't have mm. to go to corners and, you know, find out about my workers and are you doing this and are you doing that? I didn't, I didn't have to deal with that. You know what I mean? I could have never dealt with that. I didn't, I didn't have an army. I had mm. people that would, that protected me. But I didn't have, you know, I, I wasn't Jackie and I wasn't trying to be Jackie. I was just trying to live. You know, I was trying to make as much money as I could, invest money and make sure that my son was OK and make sure that I held true to the promise that Jackie and I had made, which was to try to give our son the best education that money could buy. That's really what it was all. It was about survival for me. Mm. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. So, you know, as you making money in the drug trade and, uh, you know, you making your different moves and things like that, you also open another business in the city of Philly, which was a comedy club or a comedy lounge uh, exactly. that, you, that you opened up in the city. Could you talk to us about that and, you know, how you was able to get that up and running as well? Well, you know, um, Jackie died the day before my birthday. And so I never, I never wanted to mourn. I, I just, you know, it was almost like I could never forget. I'll never forget it. Um, but I, I just, you know, I wanted to go on. I wanted, I wanted to go on and I didn't want to be sad. And so my husband died in 86 and 87. I had a, a big birthday party in LA because I didn't want to be sad. So I planned this big birthday party and a friend of mine uh, mentioned that he knew uh, a comedian by the name of Robin Harris. So he asked me to go to, um, what was it called? It was a comedy club in on Crenshaw that I went to where Robin was performing and uh, Regency West, that was the name of it. And I went there and I met Robin and I saw his show that night and um, I told him about my birthday party and he said, sure, I'll come. So Robin came to my birthday party and he brought Martin Lawrence with him and also Tommy Davidson performed that night. So okay. by me doing a party, you know, in L.A. in 87, I said, well, 88, I got to do a party in Philly. Right. So there was a club in Philly, a small jazz club, privately owned jazz club in Philly, where um, I shut the whole club down and I had a private birthday party in 88. 
Robin and Martin were filming Do the Right Thing at that mm. time in New York, in Harlem. And I talked with Robin and I asked Robin, would he come, you know, for the birthday party? He said, sure, send a car for me. So I sent the car, sent the limo. They picked him up, they came out and he performed um, at my birthday party. And that was the first time he had done um, Bebe's Kids in Philly. Oh, wow. And yeah, he did. He did Bebe's Kids for, you know, for my guests in Philly. And then the following year, I had another another uh, event, but this time it was for Robin to come and perform, but I sold tickets for this event. It was okay. standing room only. And so Robin and I had talked about, you know, do, doing some things on the road. I connected him with a friend of mine in Cleveland that was doing uh, comedy shows. Um, we had gone to Cleveland. I had sent a few other comedians to Cleveland. And that's pretty much how it started and how it picked up. Mm, okay. Okay. So you were just making connections and building a network, uh, and then started bringing, uh, more comedians to, uh, perform at the club because I know it was, uh, I can't think of the brother name off the top of my Michael head. Michael Blackston. Michael Blackston. There we go. Yep. Michael <laughs> Blackston was saying that you was the only person yes. that was giving the up and coming comedians and artists an opportunity to come and perform. And they was forever thankful and grateful yes. uh, for you for that. So uh, could you talk about how you was getting a lot of the up and coming people sure, to come in and perform? Sure. Um, I don't know about R&B, but comedians, they really network with one another. If they if, if there's a room where they can go and perform and you treat them good, they're going to tell everybody, you know, and my phone used to ring off the hook for comedians, you know, all over that wanted to come in. I mean, we flew some comedians in. We brought people in from New York. I had wow. like, for instance, Bill Bellamy, Joe, oh, wow. uh, Joe Torrey, um, Hamburger Talent. Wow. Um, Michael Blackson, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, Chris oh, you Thompson, had some, you a lot of come, you had a lot of them come through. Yes, they came through, and then we afterwards we would have a party. It would be it was on Wednesday night, and you know, it was had a sort of like an open mic type thing, and then afterwards, you know, it would be a big party. So it would be packed on Wednesday nights. We started out at Morgan's and then we moved um for a short period, I think it was one night. I tried to do a comedy show at this place um, called Studio West in West Philly, but it was more like an OK Corral type uh, setting. Mm -hmm. No one really showed up. So Bill Bellamy came that night and he said, you know what? He said, uh, when you decide to do it again, you find another location, I'll come back. And he did. So we ended up at the Penn Towers Hotel, which was right on the University of Pennsylvania campus. Mm. Um, and that's where we were doing doing our shows there. It was really, really nice. That's what I'm talking about. Black business family and really, you know, uh, doing a lot of the things that you don't see people doing today when it comes to just getting and reaching back to get that up and coming talent. I know for myself, uh, being in music and things of that nature from in the city that I'm originally from, uh, they, the promoters and stuff, they like to bring in big name artists, but they don't really like to promote and put on the local artists to help that get help them get their name out and to kind of mm. generate buzz in the city. Uh, so what you was doing, you know, catapulted a lot of people's uh, careers right out of your own business. So could you talk about your business partner uh, that was helping you with uh, the comedy club and everything like that? And then um, there was a situation where he, uh, well, there was a situation um, that happened uh, where you was at gunpoint. Uh, they had you at gunpoint and then he was ended up uh, 
being killed. Uh, so could you talk about that? Yes. Yeah, so when I started out at Morgan's, I was doing it alone. And then when I had to move from Morgan's because Morgan's was too small and I went to Studio West that same night, um, I ran into an old friend of mine, Naeem. And he asked me, you know, was I doing it? Who was I doing it with? And I said, well, I was doing it alone. He said, well, if you need any help, you know, I'll help you. And so when I moved to um, the Penn Tower Hotel, which was, like I said, at the University of Penn campus, I contacted him and said, hey, you know, I'll need help with this. So he came on board and he was really instrumental in bringing a lot of the crowd there. You know, people were coming mm. from, from all over, you know, the city. And, um, and so it was really, really doing well. And so this one night in July, um, there was a, um, an event uh, coming up and we were going to, we needed tickets, extra tickets. I was selling tickets for this event and we needed extra tickets, but we had to go to that same club, Studio West, to meet someone to get the tickets. And when we got there, little did we know it had been an argument with two fractions um, who, who really didn't get along with each other. But mm -hmm. it appeared that when we came that, you know, we were like the cavalry or whatever. It was me and about five, five or six other brothers. And uh, when we got there, you know, it, the, the club was letting out. Yo-Yo had performed that night and the club was letting out. But it was just like an eerie kind of a feeling. I just didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And um, Naeem found out that there had been an argument between two brothers. And he went over to talk to one to try to cool things out. And all of a sudden the shooting erupted mm -hmm. and someone grabbed me from behind and threw me down and leaned on top of me behind a dumpster and kept me safe behind a dumpster while the gunfire played out. And I mean, mm -hmm. it seemed like it was never going to stop. And wow. when it did stop and he looked out from the dumpster, Naeem was laying there. He had been hit, I think, three or four times. Wow. So wow. that ended that ended the that ended everything. I mean, um, you know, I, I, I didn't even want to come out after that. You know what I mean? It was just a scary thing, you know, because when when we leaned from behind a dumpster, you know, my it was my one of my friends who had pulled me down and he saw this guy walking toward us with a shotgun. He said, Man, don't come over here. We got a woman here. And when I went to spin the turn from him, that's when he was holding the shotgun to my head. By the wow. grace of God, he didn't pull the trigger. Wow. I never saw him. I only saw the shotgun. And from the waist down, I remember beige khakis. That was all I saw. Mm, mm, mm. So, you know, uh, your story is so compelling um, because, you know, not only is it a tale of, you know, uh, entrepreneurship and business, uh, love and romance, but also violence. And uh, from, you know, the murder of your husband in 86 uh, to now the murder of a um, close associate of yours and business partner of yours. Uh, you know, what's going through your mind as you are uh, participating in the drug trade and have seen all of this violence, you know, what is going through your mind as to, you know, how to protect myself? What things should I be expecting? You know, if I go here, what could happen here? Uh, what's kind of, what's kind of your mindset as it pertains to the violence? My mindset was, I just wanted to get away. I, I, you know, I, I just wanted to go away. And the crazy thing is right after that, within a week or two weeks, one of my associates gets arrested. We were at this point moving the drugs through the mail. 
Oh, yes. Yes. Talk about moving that. the yes, drugs to the mail. And, uh, you know, the, the, the rule was that you never call on the drugs because it's not legal. So right. <laughs> you're not supposed to call and, you know, track it down like you would an Amazon package, you know. Right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this brother, he kept calling, calling. I guess he was nervous because things were slowing down. Our mm -hmm. product was slowing down. Things were kind of coming now, you know, intermittently. And mm -hmm. so uh, and that happens. I mean, you'll you, you be up and then you'll be down. And you know what I mean, you got to prepare okay. for that, you know. Okay. And so, you know, I had told him, don't call. If anything happens. Let me know. We'll take care of it. We have been doing business the whole run. We never mm -hmm. had a problem. But he kept calling, kept calling. And finally, it was infiltrated by the DEA. DEA delivered a package to him and he was arrested. So I get it. Back, back then, we had pagers, you know, they'll go beep, 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 beep. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. A pager's going off, 911. Now I'm dealing with the death of Naeem, you know. And um, so now I get this call that he's been arrested. So when I contact, you know, my connect to let her know, she says, don't worry, I'll take care of everything because we knew. They were, we have been sending so many packages, so many places. Mm -hmm. We knew that they were going to be able to backtrack some of these packages, where these packages were coming from. Right. I myself had never sent the package, but the right. packages were coming from the West Coast. So we knew, but she said she would take care of it and she would handle it. So we made a pack that we would only talk like once a week or every two weeks. You know what I mean? Either she called me or I'd call her. And so we spoke about a week later and she did tell me that, the uh, postal inspectors did come out. They talked with her and she felt confident that they would come back, but that she would handle it. She didn't want me to worry. Well, a couple of weeks passed and I hadn't heard from her. A friend came by to see me, to check on me. And I asked him to drive me to the payphone so I could call her. And uh, when I got to the payphone and I called, I spoke to one of her relatives who informed me that she was dead. She had taken a ride with someone mm. and um, wherever they went on the east side of Los Angeles, everyone in the house had been killed and she had been killed. So to me, there was nothing else for me to do but completely walk away from that life completely. No other options. No, no second guessing. No. What am I going to do? Just that's it. Because I knew wow. if I continue to live the life I was living, I was either going to go to jail or I was going to get killed. And that was going to be my follow-up question. Did you think that these were kind of like signs or did you take them as like signs to say, okay, especially the last one, um, is this something that if I continue, then I'm going to, it's going to touch me next, like touch, oh, physically, physically touch me now has been, you know, it's kind of like how all the dominoes falling around you exactly. type of thing. And you like, okay, if I keep going, oh, I'm going to be the next one to fall. So exactly. at that point, so at that point you was like, I got to wash my hands and I have to be done with it because I can, you could feel it. Like it was almost like you could feel it. God had given me the signs. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't take heed to those signs, something bad was going to happen to me. Something really bad was going to happen to me. So to me, it was, you know, and, and I would think, you know, what's going to happen to my son? Yeah, he had my parents and, and my siblings who were very instrumental in his life, but that's not the same as having your mother. His right. father was already gone. So to me, there was no, no other option but to walk away. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as you decided to go ahead and walk away, uh, you know, and 
uh, a lot of, you know, close associates, uh, you know, uh, grandmother figure. Uh, I, I believe her name was Aunt, Auntie. Auntie. Mm-hmm. Auntie. Mm-hmm. Uh, auntie had, had uh, passed away as well. So at this point, you're walking away from the game and you're done with it. Now, what? how does this new transition, new life look for you? Because do you still have the boutiques? Are they still running? Uh, obviously, you stopped doing what well, you wasn't as active, I guess, with the comedy club. Um, but did you still have the boutiques and things like that? What was the transition looking like for you? How does Thelma Wright pivot now out of, you know, from a five-year run in the drug game? I shut everything down, everything. No comedy clubs, no boutique, nothing. I've completely went underground for a while. Um, I, you know, I just, it was too much, actually. It was, it was too much, too soon. You know what I mean? Like, I, I knew that I needed to do what my husband told me to do, which was get a job and go to work. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he really wanted me to do. And so, you know, to me, that was the only option was to get a job. Now, what kind of job am I going to get? I got a, I started working uh, for a temp agency, Mm. making menial money, but I had peace of mind. Right. You know what I mean? I had peace of mind. And so, you know, that's what was important to me, um, to be at peace. Forget all the, you know, I had cars, I had a home, you know, I was okay. I had my son in school, but I had to figure out how am I going to maintain these things? Mm. And so, you know, I went to work and eventually just climbed myself back to a level where I could sustain. And thank God I had my parents to help me. You know what I mean? Um, But what was most important was keeping my son in that, in that school. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. So how does uh, Thelma Wright, transition from the uh the drug dealer to the uh businesswoman and the woman that we see today i started um i had i had been to real estate school when my husband was alive he used to watch the baby and i'd go take my classes and all so we had often talked about um investing in real estate which i eventually did and so um i learned pretty much every aspect of real estate i just never got my real estate license but you know i knew you know about mortgages and managed property management i had tenants and things like that so eventually i got into property management and um i in 2009 after working in banking in maryland i lost my job in maryland came back to new jersey And um, I got a job for a nonprofit organization that dealt with drug, alcohol treatment and mental health. And I became the property manager for one of the sites which had 22 units. And it was all single mothers um, who were heads of household and their children. And as you saw in that first documentary that was done for Gangsters, America's Most Evil, you see me sitting behind the desk there. And that's where I worked um, as the property manager there. And Mm. so, you know, it gave me an opportunity to see the other side. You know, you have that side of where you're selling drugs, but then you get to see the side of the repercussion of using drugs because I had Mm. never used drugs. And so, you know, I, I knew about people getting high. I saw people get high, but I myself had never experienced that. And so it gave me an opportunity to see that. And that's when I decided to write my book. Um, 
2010 is when I decided to write the book and the book was released July of 2011. I'm coming up on 10 years this month. Um, so, you know, I transitioned into that, but it, it felt good to, you know, to be able to contribute. And, and to me, it was a form of, of giving back, you know what I mean? To, um, to hold parenting classes with the women, um, to sit and listen and talk with them and be an example for them to show them that you can change, your life can change. You know, I had an opportunity to talk with quite a few of them about my background, even before the book came out. But then once the book came out, they were completely blown away to know what I had come through. Right, 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 right. And even earlier in your life, before you had even got into the drug game, you had de dealt with some different things in your personal life as it pertains to, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, in your relationship abuse? Uh, with certain, yes, abuse yes. In, uh, in, in yes. your relationship and things like that. So how, how was that experience helpful in connecting with the women now who were uh, in these different properties in these shelters that may have gone through the exact same thing? It helped them because, you know, I used to always hear from various women, you understand, because they knew I'd been there. Mm. And when, you, when you're in an abusive situation, I talk about this all the time, you know, unless you've been through an abusive situation, you're not really going to understand. Because mm. the first thing that people want to know, why did you stay? Right. Why right. Did That's you the number one question. That's the number. Why did you stay? Why did you do? They don't understand, you know, and I'm a person who loves hard. Mm. If I'm with you, I'm with you until I decide that I'm no longer with you. I'm with you. And yeah. so, you know, it was difficult. You know, I knew eventually that I wanted to get out of my situation, but it was going to take time. And, you know, I didn't know how I did. You know, I would think about how am I going to raise my son? How am I going to give him the life that we've planned for with him, you know, right. you, you get caught, you know what I mean? You get caught up. And by this time I had been with Jackie almost 10 years, right. you know, up until that point, up until that point. And so it's not an easy transition, but you know, when, when I'm talking with women who are in abusive situations or they've come out of abusive situations, the first thing they say to me is you understand because you don't want to talk to a lot of times you don't want to talk to your friends you don't want to talk mm -hmm. to your family because you don't want to be judged. Right, right. And especially if you know that you're not ready yet to get out of it, mm. you're going to stay there. So, so what's that going to do? Piss them off. You know, everybody's mad with him and, mm -hmm. and, but, but the love is still there for you. So it takes time. Some people get it a lot quicker than others. It takes time. You know what I mean? And so in, in, in my speaking like today, and, you know, hopefully I'll reach someone who will see and understand. I do understand. You know what I mean? Um, and people should not be so judgmental about things that they really don't understand. Absolutely. You know, uh, in the scripture, Jesus said, uh, let he, let him without sin cast the first stone. Absolutely. So, you know, that's talking about those who like to judge prematurely or judge in general and don't look in the mirror at the sins that they have uh, committed themselves. Exactly. So while we like to throw stones, but live in glass houses, that's not a good thing because 
everybody has skeletons in the closet. In the closet. And, you know, even to go a bit further into your story, when you met Brother Jackie, he was not always like that. A lot of people come into uh, relationships and those red flags and those things happen like early on because that's a part of the person's uh, char character, personality, and things that they dealing with, the traumas that they dealing with. But Brother Jackie was not like that in the beginning. That was actually an incident um, that uh, caused him to be shot and injured, and then in the in the uh, part of him having to take medications to deal with the pain and all of that kind of stuff, kind of led to some other things that led to that situation. So could you uh, just talk about that a little bit? Because again, you know, Brother Jackie wasn't like that when you first met him. No, not at all. I mean, he was, he was, uh, I didn't see that, you know, when I right. when we first started going out. Um, he, he was very considerate, very caring, uh, very generous, charismatic type man. You know what I mean? But um, in 1978, he was shot. He was hit in a crossfire. Uh, there was a, trying there was to make peace, out, trying, to, trying make, to make peace once again, trying once to make again, peace. trying to make peace, trying to make peace. Mm. And he was hit in the arm, but the bullet traveled through his arm, through his lung, up through the well of his neck. Mm. And so, you know, I thought he was going to die mm. and he came through that. But when he came through that, he was taking pain meds and, you know, and he told me years ago, be way before I met him, he used to take pills. He was a pill taker. Oh, wow. You know what okay. I mean? And he got himself together. I, I, I really admired him because, you know, he knew he always wanted to be better. He always wanted to do better. And um, he could stop. You know, he could know that he was doing something and he could stop just like mm. that. No rehab, no, you know. And right. so but in going through this, he became someone that I didn't know. Mm. He became yes, someone that I had never seen before. But mm -hmm. by this time, I'm in love with him. Right. I'm in love with this man. And I know that he's going through changes. I don't fully understand. I'm 22 years old, 21, 22. You know what I mean? I don't right. fully understand. But I know I love him and I want to be with him. So I'm going to try to ride this thing out. So it was, you know, tumultuous type relationship up and down, in and out, break up, right. you know, yes. even in my own shooting. I talk about that in my book. Mm -hmm. You know, with eyes talk from sides. I talk about the shooting because he was getting high. Mm -hmm. His partner had died suddenly from a, from a heart attack, mm -hmm. and they were out collecting. As I said early on, you you know, trying to collect money that's in the street when someone dies is hard. Right. And mm -hmm. so they were out, you know, trying to collect this money. It was my birthday once again, and um, I hadn't talked with him that day. I had been at work, and when I got off of work, I went to see him. You know, one of his friends that recommended, no, don't, because he knew he was high. I didn't know he yeah. was high. Okay. And so when we talked, you know, I was a little upset with him because it was my birthday and I hadn't talked to him all day. And usually my birthday, he would buy stuff or take me out or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I don't fully understand what's going on in the street at this time. You right. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so um, he told me to go home. He said, we'll talk about it later. Go home. And I went to walk away from him, but I looked back you know, in disgust and anger, mm -hmm. you know, spoiled, angry, <laughs> you know, and um, I saw the gun, but I wasn't afraid. I had seen him with guns lots of times. I wasn't mm -hmm. afraid. And I went to take a step and I was shot in the leg. He shot mm -hmm. me in the leg. And he said, he always, I didn't mean to do it. I didn't mean, you know, 
I, I, mm. I shot too straight. No, you should have never pulled a gun on me. Right. So right. that was an ongoing thing. You know, we broke up event. You know, we broke up. We went our separate ways for a short period of time, you know, mm -hmm. because I was very hurt. I was embarrassed. I was hurt. I didn't understand how you could do that to me. I was no threat to you. Right. You know what I mean? And so that's abuse. To me, love shouldn't hurt. Right. Yes, when right. you love someone, it shouldn't hurt. And these are all the things that I've learned. You know what I mean? I had to learn by going through all of these things that I've been through. I've learned so much, so much about life, so much about people, so much about relationships. You know what I'm saying? Mm, and yes, so, right. you know, I just feel like my book can maybe help someone else. You know, yes, telling right. my story. People say, why did you? This is what I got. Why did you say? Why did you write that? Why did you tell? Because it was my story to tell. Right. Right, I, right. It was my story to tell. It was heavy on my heart. It wasn't done for money. I had no idea. I'm a self-publisher. I had no idea what this book was going to do. My co-writer and I, we sat down, you know, I gave her the information, mm -hmm. pen and pad. She banged this thing out. She's an exceptional writer. See, at least she's a childhood friend who I love dearly. I mean, but it was something I wanted to do, not knowing where it was going to go. And look what God has done for me. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, maybe I can help someone else when they read my story, they'll understand. I have heard women say, I've been there. That story is my story. Right. It's very right. common, believe it or not, there's a lot of women who have been in the game. Mm. They may not have been to the level that I was at, right. but they've done what they needed to do to survive you know what i mean right. they've been in abusive situations and they've come from it i've had people tell me my book saved their life so i feel good about telling my story you know i i, I didn't hold anything back i told exactly what happened to me what i did you know what i'm saying and i only have to answer to god i don't have to answer to man i have to answer to god for what i did so I'm fine, you know, with releasing my book and telling my story and helping someone else. That's what it's all about. Yes, ma'am. And, you know, I was going to follow up with, do you think that writing your book and telling your story was therapeutic for you? Because what I often see in a lot of uh, what we teach our students uh, in the BWO, specifically when it comes to digital real estate, when we're talking about growing your brand online and, you know, attracting organic followers and things of that nature, it's about telling your authentic story and about, you know, uh, using your story to connect with people who can relate to the story and then ultimately they'll be able to relate to products services and, and things of that nature so but what we see a lot of people going through especially our people is the traumas that they have been through they hold on to it which ultimately has a negative effect on them in business in personal relationships in business relationships you know there's people that's holding on to trauma for 30 40 50 years things that happened to them when they was like three years old five years old ten years old and they're grown 40 50 year old people and they still cannot move past these things because they haven't let go of the trauma they haven't released it so do you think that telling your story writing the book was therapeutic in a way where you released it so now it's out it's off your heart and now it's able to help somebody else brother it was so therapeutic because 
in in working and I'm telling the story to see Elise, I had to relive everything all over mm, again. I could right. see things that happened. I could see Naeem laying there. I could see mm. my husband being out, brought out in that body bag. You know what I mean? I could see these things. And um, after, when, when CLE said, we're done, I cried like a baby. I cried mm. because it was such a release wow. to, to, to get it out there. You know what I'm saying? And so I've learned so much about people that I thought cared about me, mm. about people that I thought were my friends. I learned a lot in telling my story. So to me, it's a win-win. These are things that I needed to know. Clearly, Absolutely. I needed to help someone. And I'll tell you something else. I just recently came through breast cancer. Mm, wow. I was diagnosed. Yes, I was diagnosed with, thank you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I was um, diagnosed with stage two breast cancer in August of 2019. So mm. right before the pandemic, I was doing treatment, chemo, mm. radiation, mm. came through that. And I was thinking, you know, oh, you know, I'll be able to do this and do that after my treatment. Then the pandemic hit. So I, I had become accustomed to being away from people because I didn't want to compromise my immune system. Right. Mm -hmm. But writing that book and then going through what I went through with the breast cancer, I know exactly who has love for me. I know exactly who is there for me. My family has been amazing to the support that they gave me and took care of me because chemo was not easy, mm. was not easy. And so, you know, it's, it's crazy about life, how, you know, God spared me for a reason. That's right. You know, my story just from watching the documentary and now I've told you about the cancer, but he spared me for a reason. And I promised God that I would do whatever I could to help, to help people. You know what I mean? Um, I think this is my calling. This is what I'm supposed to do. He's not done go. with me yet. There you go. There you go. And a lot of people have trouble trying to figure out what their purpose is. You know, a lot of times, a lot of us have gifts. We have talents. We have skills that we learn throughout life that we use in order for us to make a living for ourselves and things of that nature. But really, when you boil down to it, it's about finding your purpose and understanding why God placed you here so that he can use you and he can work through you to impact more people. And exactly. you're just an, another example uh, uh, of God using you uh, for his purpose and showing you what that purpose is so that you can now utilize all of the experience, all of the trauma, all of the ups and downs to be able to help somebody else that may be going through that same exact situation because a lot of the times what people don't realize is that when we pray for answers and we pray for solutions they come through other people they come through the word they come through the experience they come through the lives of other people so people who may be trying to figure out how to get from up under that abusive relationship or somebody who may be struggling with trying to figure out what their purpose is in life or who may be going down the exact same road that you rode down already 
could stop them from prematurely doing those things and could change the trajectory of their life. So you, the, the work that's in front of you is so important and so yeah. impactful and so meaningful to so many people out here that it's really, uh, you know, it's really undescribable. So when it comes to the book, because we have some people in the comment section already saying they need to get the book. How can they get the book? Uh, because your words and your story, your testimony was so impactful. They want to know where they can purchase the book. I know you said you were self-published. So do you have your own website? I know it's on Amazon, but I don't like to give Amazon no extra money. I wrote my own book and I ain't trying to get Amazon no extra money. We want to keep all the bread. So if we can send them to your website, we'll send them to your website. So we ain't got to give Amazon no cut. Well, it's, it's easier, I think, for them to purchase it through Amazon is $15 okay. Amazon. And then um, the ebook is $9.99. But if they want an autographed copy of the book, they can cash at the money to me with their name and the information for the autograph. That's a $25 fee if they cash app it to me. And then that includes the shipping. So I would ship it out to them. It takes a, you know, a little longer, but they could also get it exactly through Amazon. They get it, I think, in one or two days if you get it through Amazon. All right, family. So as you see, if you want to go ahead and get your copy of the book right here with eyes from both sides, living my life in and out of the game, uh, you can order that via uh, Amazon. You know, you got the paperback, you have the ebook that's available. Or if you want to go ahead and order your copy uh, from Sister Thelma and get your and get it autographed, the autograph copy uh, from her, then we can go ahead and cash app. Uh, you directly and get that. What's the cash app so we can go ahead and put that uh, in the, the in the section? It's the dollar sign, of course. Thelma, o eight, o eight. Double check it. Uh, make sure I'm not giving out the wrong information. Okay, dollar sign Thelma o eight o eight. Correct. Yes, that's correct. All right. That's correct. All right, family. So if you would like to purchase our sister book uh, with eyes from both sides, you can purchase it uh, via and Amazon. That's $25, if you like. right? Yep. Or you could, oh, and uh, when you purchase it through you, through it's 25, app. correct? That's correct. Okay. And that includes the shipping. Okay. Okay. So if you want to go ahead and purchase it through Amazon, get it in one or two days, you can do that. But if you want to uh, help support my sister in a bigger way, you can cash app her directly, which is dollar sign Thelma 0808, $25 that covers your shipping and you get an autographed copy of the book. Now, um, before we go, could you talk about just some of the things that you're doing uh, today and how people can stay uh, you know, tuned in to what you got going on, where they can find you at on social media and things of that nature. They can find me on Facebook at Thelma Wright. Um, let me see. I'm Thelma Wright on Facebook and on Instagram. I am, and this is something you got to look yourself up. <laughs> <laughs> on, on Instagram, I am Thelma B. Wright. And on Twitter, I'm Thelma B. Wright. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's correct. Yeah, okay. All right. So on Twitter, I'm Thelma B. Wright, at Thelma B. Wright. On Instagram, I'm Thelma Wright, and that's T-H-E-L-M-A, just like on the screen. And then on Facebook, I'm Thelma Wright. And on Facebook, I have an artist page as well as my own private page. Okay, absolutely. Absolutely, family. So you heard it there uh, from my sister. If you want to get in contact with her, you can look her up on Instagram. You can look her up on Facebook. You can look her up on Twitter. Uh, talk with my sister. Reach out. Connect. 
you know, create that relationship, build those networks. Uh, and uh, also, what can we look forward to um, from Sister Thelma Wright uh, moving forward in the future? Well, I have a mentoring program um, that I've actually been, well, should pick back up now that uh, COVID is, the restrictions are easing up. So mm -hmm. I have an empowerment program and it's a mentoring program for um, at-risk young teen girls and women. Um, I do men as well. I've gone into the prisons um, and spoken to the men as well as the women. So I'm going to be working that again. Um, and hopefully, you know, I'm looking forward to doing a book tour. I've never actually done a book tour before. So wow. I would like to probably do something like that once, you know, once the restrictions are, are over with and we can really travel safely and, you know, really be around people. That's something I like to do. But right now I'm, I'm focused on more of my uh, empowerment and mentoring program. And I will be, um, there's an event coming up July 23rd here in Philadelphia at FDR Park, which in people from Philly, we call the lakes. And okay. I'll be speaking to youth there on July 23rd. Uh, that's between one and 5 p.m. Okay. Wow. Beautiful. Beautiful. So you heard that family. If you in Philly, July 23rd, uh, Sister Thelma Wright will be speaking to the youth at uh, the lakes, as they yeah, call it in FDR Philly. FDR Park. Right. FDR Park, or as they call it in Philly, the lakes. So you can uh, go make sure you check out uh, that upcoming event to go ahead and make sure you get tapped in. And uh, and uh, as Sister said, once they start to, uh, you know, loosen up some of the restrictions, you know, book tour coming soon, things of that nature. So uh, we'll definitely be looking forward to seeing some of the beautiful work that you have. Uh, my sister, did you like to close us out with a, uh, you know, with closing remarks to the family? Well, you know, to everyone, I, I would just like to say I really appreciate all the support that people have been giving me through the years, because like I said, I'm going into a 10 year ride now. You know, awesome. I have two documentaries, the book. Um, so, you know, I would just like to thank everyone. And, and I appreciate the support. I appreciate the words of encouragement that I've been receiving, you know, through coming through my cancer as a survivor. I am now a survivor in remission. So I'm very grateful to that. And and that's really it. I'm just grateful for everything. And I'm, you know, grateful for the way people have really embraced me. You know, it's been amazing. It's really been an amazing ride. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Well, again, uh, from the campaign TV show, we are thankful and uh, so appreciative of you coming and sharing your time, your story, your testimony with us here. Uh, we certainly, certainly appreciate it. And we look forward to having you back soon. Uh, I want you to hang tight. Don't jump off just yet. Uh, but to the family, we'll thank you all for tuning in again to another wonderful episode of the podcast uh, show here at the campaign TV show with your brother, uh, King Cam. Make sure you stay up to date on everything that we do and you can actually text podcast if you want to be a part of the community to 833-236-8658 again you can uh text the the word podcast so you can be a be a part of the community to 833-236-8658 so that you can get all of the updates on upcoming interviews exclusive footage and things of that nature family we're gonna go ahead and close out and uh sister thelma like i said um we're gonna hang back for a minute appreciate your family love you and I leave you in the greedy words of peace, as we say it in the Arabic language of Assalamu Alaikum. Any leadership that teaches you to depend upon another race is a leadership that will enslave you. Any leadership that teaches you to depend upon another race is a leadership that will enslave you. They gave leadership to our forefathers, and that leadership made them slaves. But we have decided to find a leadership of our own.
Not your average nigga, I'm a god out the hood. They can't downplay me. I came up, I'm elevated. Elevated. I ain't gotta say too much for them to know I'm coming for what's mine. You know they see me in my presence, eh? They see how I'm coming. Young, but you not just gonna finesse me like you did my people's name back when you said they was emancipated. This ain't that. Your head too big. You feeling yourself. The game wasn't fair. You had the advantage. We weren't educated. Ooh. I don't look at you people the same. Nah. Your worst nightmare, my skin tone about them change. Yeah. Not no circus lion, son, son. I can't be tamed. Uh -huh. You gon' have to kill me, pussy. Toby ain't my name. Y'all still wanna stink our history started when we were slaves. What? Come on now, talk about them pyramids we made. I was chosen by that man you 